It's Swedenborg Live. How's everybody doing? Thank you for showing up. My name is Curtis Childs, and I'll be your host. We're going to talk about some stuff, and I got my friends with me. Everyone, do you want to say a quick hello? Hello, I'm Karen Childs, Community Care Manager and Writer at Off the Left Eye. Welcome. So glad to have you here. And I'm Cara Dom, the Latin consultant around here and a member of the community care team. Great to have you. And I'm Chelsea Odner. <laughs> <laughs> I do lots knows. of things. <laughs> Everybody already knows who Chelsea is. <laughs> hey, everyone. Um, we're so glad you're here. If you're joining the show for the first time in the YouTube chat, ask a question. And we spend all hour long answering those questions to the best of our ability and, and thinking about what it could mean for all of us. And while you're getting your questions in, I'm going to get us in the right mindset. So I'm going to give our spiritual thought for the day. We're beginning our show with, this is a thought that was featured in a couple of our programs this week. So you may already be familiar, but it's still worth pausing and contemplating. <clears throat> it's a quote from Swedenborg, of course. One is not to think about truth that comes from anywhere but the Lord. Okay. So now we've just been reminded there's such a thing as truth. There's such a thing as the Lord. And there's such a thing about as thinking. So let's do all, let's do all those. And that quote is from Secrets of Heaven 8,867. So for today's fundraising goal... $88.67. Ah, you thought it was going to be $8,000. If we can raise, we're a not-for-profit. So all we can do, the only way we can do any of this stuff is your very kind, generous contributions. If during this show, there happens to be a total of $88.67 and not a penny less contributed, we'll do an extra 15 minutes of Q&A as a token thanks from us to you for making all this possible. Thanks so much for considering. Go to offtheleftdie.com slash donate. That's where your journey begins. Okay, let's get into the questions. First, the question we gave to you this week, which was, what do you think it means to follow truth that comes from the Lord? Yeah, what is that in the first place? Because I didn't get it right away. And you can see me on Chasing Swedenborg kind of unpack that. But Corin, what did the people think about that? We got a lot of responses to this one, and, and um, many of them nice and long. They're wonderful. I encourage everybody to go to social media and read the, them in full. So we just took a sentence or two out of many of them. Couldn't fit them all, but just wanted to represent as many as we could. So here are some of them. To follow the voice of good in whatever it is you're doing. Yes. I think it's to be able to trust and follow one's intuition and heart. Mm -hmm. It means detect enter, stay in it, and spread it. For me, it means, is there love and wisdom in it? Yes. To do the right thing, even when it seems like it will be impossible or unpopular. I think it's love. The truth from the Lord is love. Do everything with love. To me, it's to follow your gut instinct, because the truth is in your stomach. <laughs> mm. I felt only this I can do. Often I knew I could do it better. I want to be a better person. To follow the words and teaching of Jesus as he is the source of all things. Go to the word so that God can nourish and heal your life with goodness. Find and follow his doctrine in the Bible and to obey the commandments. As vessels of divine love being guided by the wisdom proper to that love. 
Wisdom is the ability to discern goodness from evil. With truth comes trust, for God is not slack in his promises. Promote peace, love, mercy, goodness. Seek guidance from the Lord. Surrender to the Lord's love that dwells within us. Let this love by intention manifest into our lives through our thoughts, words, and deeds. Live from this truth outward. Truth is the love of God. He watches over and guides us in the right direction. Truth from the Lord is in plain sight and always comes with loving insight. It is the truth spoken directly to our hearts and conscience. We can be bombarded with lies and may be misled by them for a while, but the truth will always prevail eventually. The only way to follow divine truth is through divine gifts, such as intuition. And finally, we can only really know God, it seems to me, through love. So that's just a few excerpts. Um, go read the full things for a greater context. But that, it was great. I loved reading through all your insights. Thank you. Man, nobody was phased by it. I thought people would say, what, what are you even talking about? What does that mean? People are ready. They know what it means. They're ready to apply it in their lives. Thanks, everybody. That's cool to see it. And, and boiled down to such succinct little pieces of life wisdom. That's high end. Um, our... <laughs> Our own Chelsea, you already know her from the intro. Uh, you took it a step further in the podcast, right? Yeah. So uh, this week's podcast is called Seeing the Face of God. And when Swedenborg first went viral, and that's one of the hats I wear is I host the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast. And uh, and I had fun, you know, riffing on the kinds of things that Curtis brought up in the Chasing Swedenborg this week and took it in the direction of making a meditation about it, like a 10 minute meditation that you can listen to that is that sort of how do you connect into that uh, truth to that, you know, the source of truth as the Lord inside of yourself when, uh, when you're, you know, faced with any kind of confusion and, and everything. So it's, uh, and longing for clarity. So I hope you enjoy that. And then we do all the usual things we do in the podcast. So it's a fun time and you can listen when it comes out on Sunday. All right. Sounds awesome. Let's get to some questions. And remember, as we ask these questions, if you donate them, what's that? Oh, we already hit our goal. Oh. <laughs> then we should go for the 8,000, right? Thank, thank you, David. <laughs> David made a generous contribution that by itself put us over the hump. Uh, we, are, we are at 100 up over 8867. Uh, so thank you so much. We'll be doing an extra 15 minutes. It doesn't mean the rest of you can't pile on there because really every dollar still does go into our programming. Feel free to let's go for that 8,000 people. Let's do it. Thanks so much, David. All right, let's do it. First question is from Jet. Jet asks, Swedenborg often talks about the well-being of the other. I have done that all my life and often forgot myself because of it. How do you see that relationship? That's good. That's a good question because... It's not necessarily a very new or sharp idea to say, just think about other people because it don't always work. Are we supposed to run ourselves into the ground? Are we supposed to always give everyone else what they want? Help me out. So uh, what do you think, Chelsea? Yeah, well, the first thing that comes to my mind is, is that uh, Chasing Swedenborg you did a couple of weeks ago about um, usefulness, uh, that the, the Lord created the universe so that usefulness could exist because centering it on usefulness 
rather than, I don't know, kind of like the people involved, or is it this person or that person, or how many people can I help? Or can I only help just one person? If it's about the usefulness of anything you're doing, then that is a good, uh, you know, compass. Um, because then oftentimes, you know, it, the usefulness starts with ourselves in terms of, uh, there's just a great quote in Secrets of Heaven 5,000 something. Um, I did talk about it in the podcast from that week about, uh, you know, we have to take care of our body for the sake of the uses that it can perform for the sake of our soul. So like part of our self-care is our body, is our soul. You know, there's a real emphasis on taking the usefulness of taking care of yourself so that you can show up in, in integrity with other people. And, uh, you know, I've even thought about it for myself because that's like, it can become a codependency thing, you know, where you're just way too much focused on other people and it, it ends up being a, you know, a place where evil spirits can really attack us because it can confuse us about what's really important in a relationship. And there is meant to be that uh, clarity of, of, you know, knowing yourself, knowing what you need and, and really any usefulness that we have for other people starts with our own relationship with the Lord. You know, if we're not cultivating that and, um, you know, tuning into that, then we could just get, who knows where we're going? You know, we don't have the Lord. We don't have that connection with the Lord to help guide us and knowing how best do I show up in any of these, you know, different areas in my life. So uh, anyway, those are, that's thoughts that come to mind for me. Great. Good. And practical. I love it. Uh, any other thoughts? Yeah, Karin. Oh, uh, Kara, go. Oh, okay. Um, well, that, the, the very uh, familiar reference in culture that about the airplane in the airplane, what do they tell you? Put on your own oxygen mask first and then help the people around you. In other words, you need to be in a state of some kind of um, stability in order to help other people. Um, and loving yourself is not a bad thing per se. I mean, Swedenborg has this hierarchy, love to God, love to the neighbor, love for the things of the world and love of self. And it's just about not having you be the only thing that matters to the detriment of everybody else. Mm -hmm. um, you do matter. And, and I think some people who take this so much to heart um, do get kind of messed up about it a little bit. Uh, and Swedenborg talks about being over conscientious, that, that there are people that are so overly conscientious about doing it right and um, being a good person that they can get themselves in trouble, so to speak. I mean, you know, give themselves some challenges. So as always, it's a balance and um, yeah, keep being clear on your own boundaries, where you end and where somebody else's begins. Uh, there's a lot to it, but it's true. It, it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act that everybody has to work out for themselves, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And, and well, I, the, the airplane thing is just beautiful because <laughs> the airplane's not trying to be cutesy and then tell you to do they're telling you this is how we are going to survive an emergency is you need to take care of yourself so you can take care of others so hmm, perfect karen yeah perfect love what's been said already i think 
usefulness is, you know, how you need to help effectively. You have to think of long-term effectiveness. We are supposed to help others, but uh, wisely and effectively, and it's not wise or effective (laughs) to just wear yourself out and not take care of, take care of yourself. Um, And also to remember, you're not the only person that there is to help. (laughs) Like, um, there are, there's tons and tons of people. So sometimes it's, you're called, uh, it's appropriate and useful for you to help in this situation. And sometimes it would be better if somebody else stepped in at that point. And you think of any um, device you own or your car or whatever, like, you know, you need to take care of it if it's going to be effective and, and be able to do what it's meant to do. And that's same goes for yourself. Um, uh, you are a, a precious um uh, a precious being who is here to share the love of God and, but you need to do it wisely. You need to take care of yourself so that you can be this channel that uh, can work as effectively as possible. Yeah. It seems to come down to why, why are we taking care of ourselves? And if the why you're looking after yourself is because you're, you are the thing you love more than anything and that you think life is about you and everyone else is less important, then that's a problem. But for any other reason, it's good if, if, if we're taking care of ourselves to do something. And it's interesting that when Swedenborg talks about loving the neighbor and doing things to help other people, I feel like most commonly he's talking about it rather than, well, I, I could go, but this person... I'll let them cut in line because one person to one person, he's more often talking about the common good of society. So that the actual, the way that you love the neighbor is to go out and contribute to the well, the public welfare. So he'll say that, that yes, the stuff that we would consider charity and, and giving is, is important, but it's not the foundation. Like the foundation is really more what your occupation or what you do in society. So I think, when you, when you frame it that way, that it's not just always, well, somebody else is, wants what I have in my hand, so I'll give it to them, but more, I, I need to make life better for everyone. That, that really drives home how important it is to have yourself in, in tip-top shape. And it's got like gather wisdom about it too. I've been learning just how important it is to take care of yourself on all these different levels. You need, and you need joy, and you need to recharge, and you need to be able to relax at times, or else you're going to break down. So it's, it's like really respecting the, the, the tool of God that you are and making sure you, you take good care of it. Like, uh, like Carmen was saying, great question. Let's go to another great question because Colin Vickers asks, I seem to recall that Swedenborg warned a time or two in his writings against entertaining fantasies. Can you help me understand what he's referring to and what the danger is? And I feel like this, I first want to think about like, Kara, do you know what word that is that is translated fantasies sometimes, but or what are the other renderings of it? Because I certainly picture that, but I don't know if that's only in the older translations or or what. Yeah, you're you gotta unmute, but yeah, what, <laughs> what um, yes, well, interestingly, the Latin word is fantasia. <laughs> <laughs> which is why it gets turned into fantasy right away. And I, I, right. I don't have a clear idea of what newer translations have done with that. I'll see if I can find out. Okay, great. Karin, yeah, what, do you have a, a thought on the question? 
Well, I'm being reminded, and I wonder if this is what uh, Colin is referring to. Um, sometimes Swedenborg talks about, um, okay, maybe you're not acting out to do physical violence to someone or physically commit adultery or physically go steal somebody's stuff. But if you indulge, if, if you indulge in those fantasies purposefully, like indulge in the enjoyment of doing harmful stuff and what that um, it's, it's just uh, what, whatever pleasures we indulge in kind of grow, you know, become part of our spirit more and more. And it's harder and harder to uh, separate from those. And I think what Swedenborg is warning about is if, if you um, fantasize about doing harmful things a lot, you know, um, it's going to become more and more part of you because pleasure is, is the, the food for our spirit. And it will become hard for you not to just act that out in the afterlife. Um, because if it becomes more and more like, I'm not going to do this physically just because I'll get in trouble or like that's not morally acceptable or in comes the only reason because you're getting such pleasure, then that's going to become problematic and harder and harder to um, get untangled from in the afterlife. So that's what's coming to, to mind for me when I remember Swedenborg talking about fantasies and warnings. So I wonder if that's what Colin is referring to. Yeah, no, I think it's a great, it's a great warning. Um, and this is often a, a reason that he gives for the existence of the life that we're in right now, the physical life, because you have a filter your body isn't as reactive to your will and understanding as your spirit is. So you can get, I'm, I'm going to say something really obnoxious, but no, I probably shouldn't say that before your lips move. So uh, did you have a follow-up? Yeah. I just want to emphasize that Swedenborg and Swedenborg emphasizes that this isn't talking about things that just pop into your mind or flow into your mind. This is more getting in the habit of willingly indulging you know, in, in a big way, a very purposeful way in, in fantasizing about doing things that are harmful. That's just, that would be harmful that are about betraying and, and hurting and, you know, and, and greed and things like that. So it's not just the stuff that, oh, flows in and you find yourself like, whoa, what am I thinking about? It's like purposeful and habitual. Right. Yep. And it seems like at times he's referring to delusions as fantasies he'll talk about everyone in hell has fantasies but it, it's really a misinterpretation of what a false belief about the way things are or what's right and acceptable so sometimes the the danger of these fantasies is that it leads you to a life of evil because you believe inaccurate things it's you're either intentionally to justify wrong actions or just because you don't care about the truth. It just leads you away from the heavenly lifestyle and makes it very hard for you to be helped because fantasies, these delusions reject the, the truth. So yeah. that's another thought on it. Did you, did you research anything? Yeah, well, in a very quick look, and I couldn't get at the Latin on this search engine, but uh, one translator rendered it as just imagination, things that you imagine, imagine about. It's sort of, yep. it, it's a different flavor, but it, it gives you a, another perspective. Right. 
got to got to protect against those kids programs that say use your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> the problem, no, entertaining. I'm, I'm I'm just kidding, everyone. That's not is a different use of the word imagination. Okay, yeah, Chelsea. Yeah, well, I know I don't. This uh, this uh, thought that's coming to my mind. I can't think of a. I'm trying to like think of where in Swedenborg have I heard things that go along these lines. And the first thing that came to my mind was um, being really struck when we were working on our show on, uh, I think like spirits, spirits and addiction. And that kind of, um, I forget the title of that show, but, um, and this quote that is in Swedenborg spiritual experiences, and I was able to find it so I could just share it quick. Um, yeah. It's, it's spiritual experiences 2176 where he's writing by much experience within several years, I've been taught that one should not resolve to do anything that is really unimportant. So, okay. Interesting. This is also unpublished for the reason that one thereby not only loses one's freedom, but also gives spirits an opportunity to desire it and thus to persuade for it is the nature of spirits to desire intensely and then to persuade regarding some matter as if it were a most definite cause and should by all means be done. Um, and so that idea, I think, resonates with like, if we get caught up in these ideas, like this fantasy of like, oh, I should do this thing and I'm going to go and we can get so sort of, uh, or like, it's an interesting process of discerning when is it coming from our relationship with the Lord or when is it like us getting a little too caught up in some idea of what should happen that may or may not be the Lord's will, you know, so that it's always going back to like, what's the Lord's will uh, for me and for this. And, and, you know, so just kind of having that self-reflection of, um, so that's not quite the same thing as entertaining fantasies, I think, but if that resonates, then maybe that is along those lines. Well, I love that quote. So anytime we can bring it up, that's, <laughs> that's legit. And I, it's really key when he says resolve, to do something unimportant. So it's not that you can't go, I'm going to go do something unimportant. But when you say, I, I've got to do this thing. And I bet by unimportant, he's talking about that from a celestial perspective, that, that it's important to resolve to shun evils. It's important to resolve to follow God and love the neighbor. These things we're talking about. But as far as like me saying, well, I've got to, I've got to get this color shirt, or even I've got to take my career in this direction or something. I think a lot of that would, that we would think, oh, no, that's important. That, that falls under unimportant because you don't know if in Providence, it's a, it's a temporal thing anyway, that there's eternal stuff, which has to do with the soul. And that's the stuff you can resolve to do, but, but don't get fanatical about it. I yeah. That's, that's definitely why I feel like in my, just in my day to day, that's a tool I use a lot is like, am I, you know, I'm not going to resolve to get a certain number of things done today because I know like that's the kind of like uh, entertaining fantasy, you know, that's that expectations thing. But if I'm I know I can have an intention and then I'm going to put it in the Lord's hands and then like life is going to happen. So there can be but that doesn't mean, you know, it doesn't mean I'm not efforting or I have goals because there's that whole beautiful, you know, connection of the Lord works through our desires for good and to do great fun, creative things and stuff. So, uh, so it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a definite character. I don't know if Swedenborg ever said this, but if, okay, I'm going to get these things done today. If the Lord wills it, I'm going to try all day to do these things. Ah, looks like I got none of them done. Okay. Yeah. Or I got three of them done instead of 12. Okay. Well, it wasn't the Lord's will, 
that that's a little different than I'm going to resolve to stop hmm, bad behavior X or fo or following the Lord or something. Oh, I didn't do it. I really got to try. But that other stuff. Anyway, we we could just let's just have a whole show talking about that quote. I know. <laughs> Come on. Okay. Great question, Colin. Thank you. The cube. Oh, before we go there, Shelly. Thank you, Shelly. Shelly gave a donation. Thank We're you, up to Shelly. 125. We're way above our goal. And uh, let's, you know, maybe we could double it or something like that. Thank you so much. And this is this is letting us do what we do. If you're just joining us off the left.com slash donate, you will help this not-for-profit run and make content. The Cube asks, is it good to lead a life devoted to faith, charity, and mutual love? And if so, how do you make it exciting? <laughs> Look at these questions this week. And the Cube. People are on. Yeah. So I think it's something that's on a lot of people's minds. Isn't there this general, uh, oh, then cry with the saints, sinners are much more fun. It's a, it's a cultural idea that this is, it's, it's a boring lifestyle, the, the lifestyle of faith, charity, and mutual love. So, so what do we do about that, Karin? I just watched this uh, wonderful short video that one of our viewers, viewers shared with me, John. Um, shared with me that uh, was so cool because it was envisioning a future that was so exciting if we could just all drop our divisiveness and work together. <laughs> and it was like um, opening up all these. It was just it was it was a good kind of imagining <laughs> um, about you know all the technology that could uh, the exciting new discoveries, the incredible you know like just uh, the excitement of like everybody not being slogging through poverty and, and lack and a thing. And that just, there'd be so many more people available to do things and discover things and to have cooperative efforts. And so I think that, um, you know, humanity has gotten so bogged down close to hell for so long and hell wants us to think, Oh, it's got to have explosions. It's got to have, you know, bad guys. It's got to have all this thing. And we've just been conditioned for a long time to think that's more entertaining than goodness. <laughs> but really, we're, we've been so held back. Uh, just like, I just feel like if we could shed this lower ego stuff collectively, and you do, you do find too, personally, like when you're young, you think, oh, you know, grown up stuff is boring. <laughs> but because you're looking for more flashy excitement. But as you get there, you, you find this deeper joy and it is exciting and, the, and the, the things you can discover and your relationships. And so I, so I think that um, we do have to believe in the excitement of goodness because Swedenborg says like, just heaven is far from static. It is just like so exciting. In one, one passage I remember he's saying, every moment is something new. So think of the, the excitement of discovery when lower ego stops holding you under this little cloud and there's all this space up here. Um, so, you know, I, I or nobody could say, how does that operate in your life? But just to trust in that, like evil wants to be enticing and thinking you could only have fun if you, and, and I, I remember um, Peter Rhodes talking about the process of coming out of alcoholism 
like when you're in it, it's just like, oh, just to be, you know, home with your family. That's so boring. Let's be at the bar and drinking and everything. And as he is came out of that alcoholism and found the pleasure and the joy in being with his family, his friends who are still alcoholic trying to pull him back say, no, this is exciting. But he knows like that is not worth it. <laughs> that is such destructive and temporal and self-centered. Um, so you have to just trust and go on this journey of turning away from the negative, the temporal, the limited, the self-focused, and it's going to unfold. Like we could, nobody could tell you what that is going to be like for you. But uh, I just, I think you just got to trust in it and go that path and it's going to unfold. I want that future that you're talking about. Nothing, nothing that is evil is actually exciting when you understand what it is. You can think, oh, it's kind of exciting when there's a giant hurricane, but when you're in one or your house gets wrecked or you, you get harmed by a storm, you can't have fun thinking about hurricanes anymore because it's not fun. It's just, oh, no, don't do it. I don't want anyone to get in the path. That, the more that the stuff that seems exciting that's that's from hell it just only ignorance makes it exciting so if you want something that's there's nothing and there's nothing more exciting than when you what you really want is something that's allowable and that everybody else wants it's just like oh positive <laughs> feedback loop okay what other thoughts on that oh go ahead car okay um <clears throat> well i'm an old lady now and i think the most exciting thing there is is peace <laughs> it just you know, a lack of inner turmoil. That's the most exciting thing. Um, and, and also just on my own take is that the most exciting frontier to be discovered is the human psyche. I mean, and the human spirit. If, you, if you're not interested in finding out who the people around you are, try, try finding out who you are. That is pretty exciting discovery. Not always fun, but but exciting. <laughs> nice. Nice. And I was just going to say that off the left eye is exciting. <laughs> hey, that's right. <laughs> we are, it's funny because off the left eye is awesome. And I always joke around like when I'm trying to self-deprecate what I do for my job, I say, oh, I make religious videos for a living. <laughs> But actually, no, I wouldn't want to be making videos about something else. This is my favorite thing to make videos about. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. We have lots of fun. So faith, charity, mutual love, lots of fun. Super Go team. Woo yeah. <laughs> That's right. Unpack faith is the affection of truth. So is it, you think about how much harm falsity causes and how, how obnoxious it is when somebody's not looking for the truth. To love the truth, I mean, there, there's nothing more elegant than that. Charity is, if you've been on the receiving end of charity, of somebody helping you, there's nothing better than it. When you need it and it's given, there's nothing that's more white, hot, electrically great than that. Amen. And then mutual love, that, that is what life is. Like when you, when you get in there and you love someone and they love you, okay, it's exciting. And I will <laughs> close by saying, I'm way ahead on the... Um, becoming an old person scale because <laughs> I already oh, all I want to do is go to like little nature preserves that have that like brown sign and uh, like I'll go there with my wife and it's like us and everybody else is it's got you know uh 
45 years ahead of us. And that's exactly where I want to be. You know, <laughs> I don't want anything exciting. Okay. I want to just quick add that even it's pandemic time, so it's not the time people can travel around enough, but there's so much wonderful stuff to discover just like it on this planet. Like I've just moved to a new area and just loving, just exploring the area and the houses and meeting a new person who runs this store. And it's just like, there's so much to discover all the time. And life is full of excitement. That's positive, positive. Well, you're talking about, think of all the things we could do if we were all work together. I, I think travel should be a human right. Everybody should be allowed to see as much of this earth as they can. You know, you hear about people that, that are born in neighborhoods where there's a high prevalence of poverty often don't even leave ever leave their their neighborhood or like a few blocks radius from where they are it should be like a human right that everybody gets to see a bunch of the world if if we all work together you could do that you could make it so that everyone can afford to get places and everyone can get to experience like what it's like to snorkel with tropical fish or what it's like to see giant mountains or what it's like to that would be an exciting world yeah so yeah okay let's Let's go forward together (laughs) yeah John asks, does Swedenborg explain why everyone is assigned spirit guides or a spirit guide while they are on earth? And was there a time when people weren't assigned them? I think we have a pretty good answer to this, Karin. In our show called The Angels and Evil Spirits with us, we talked about how um, in the beginning when humanity was innocent and new and there was just a direct connection with God um, that that's, that's where you got your guidance. Like it was a direct connection. It was, they were in a very innocent state, just willing to be led directly by the Lord. And then as, um, humanity got more and more sort of enamored with this idea of independent independence and materialism and fell away from that. Um, the only way God could reach us was through, um, angels and then spirits. We had this diagram in the show. So I, I will encourage you to go watch it. Uh, but but this is a this whole network of that where the Lord guides us through spirits was a you know an add-on to how it used to be because now that's the only way God can reach us until we get regenerated again. And so um, we have to have these angel guides and spirit guides so that God's energy and and thoughts and feelings can get down to us and they get altered as they go down through the network. Um, but that is the only way. And so we do need, uh, these spirits and angels, uh, assigned to us basically. And that would be, have to do with the, uh, there's a similarity in thought and feeling, um, because that's the way God's guidance can come through the network, get to us and, start us, you know, get us started on that journey, taking the steps. And as we go on the regeneration journey, you know, doing the repentance, recognizing negativity, turning away from it, we get connected with better and better quality spirit guides, (laughs) you know, as we're, we're moving, um, we're moving along and, and upward in our spiritual community and getting more in touch with our angel guides who are always there, but, but we'll get more like, Uh, clear with their guidance. Um, So uh, there was, from what I understand, there was a time where it wasn't needed, all this network of spirits um, to guide us. It is necessary now. um, And that's why. 
but we are on a constant journey of change where we can get be getting um, better and better quality guidance uh, from the spiritual realm. I knew we had a good answer. <laughs> um, let's say thanks to Karin for that. And then say thanks to Tina. <laughs> Tina made a contribution. Thank Thanks. you so much. We are well above our goal, but we could get well above our goal. <laughs> Go to youtube.com slash off the left eye and you can make the next round of programming possible. Thank you so much for supporting our not-for-profit venture. Shall we go to the next question? Mm -hmm. This is from Matthew Bush, our friend Matthew Bush, who asks, Swedenborg says, without remains, we can't be regenerated. Are there any who are without, like from a bad upbringing? For the uninitiated, the remains or the remnant is a little storehouse of goodness and truth deep inside of us that Swedenborg asserts gets put there by the Lord through our states of childhood and, and early adolescence. And that's something the Lord draws on to regenerate us, as he says in there. But maybe people don't have very good, innocent upbringings. I mean, there's a lot of people in really bad situations. Does anybody lose out on having remains? What, uh, what do you think, Cara? I don't have an answer for this, but I, it's a big question in my heart too. I saw years ago, I saw, you know, one of these magazine TV shows that did a little piece on neglected children. And that was the thought that came to me is like, oh, they're missing, they're missing the remains they need. Um, but I don't think that can possibly be true. I mean, I don't think the Lord, I think the Lord will find a way to plant these states of good and truth in anybody. I imagine it's harder. And I imagine that's why, for instance, neglected children go on to have a very hard time in life. But I, so I don't know. I don't know the answer. I just am resonating with the question. Yeah, because it, it tugs at our basis, basic sense of fairness but also there's just kind of this little panic like wait is anyone taking care of these these little yeah. kids right. current. yes Swedenborg learned that absolutely everybody has this this set of remains and I think it's important to remember that they're not only established from outward situations but also from the angels that are with every infant and every child regardless of their outer circumstances so I think that's how it's, a sh it's um, guaranteed that everyone gets these remains implanted, even if they have a bad outer situation. And a bad outer situation um, might indeed make it harder for their outward life going through earthly life, but that does not, but there's an untouched part of their spirit that the Lord guards and protects and makes sure that that does not mean they have any impediment to getting to heaven. Um, and we, we did our show, uh, life isn't fair or is it to talk mm. about things like that, that anything that somebody is deprived of in, in this life for no fault of their own will be provided in heaven. And, um, yeah, so it's a, it's a guarantee that everybody has that, uh, and regardless, and I have heard amazing stories. You know, I think that, um, from the outside, we can always look at people's lives who had very childhoods 
and think, how can that ever work? But I have heard amazing stories from people who had a horrendous childhood, and yet they themselves can say what sustained them. That was the presence of God. And so, for instance, one woman was saying she just even could remember during abuse, she felt something else holding her, like holding a part of her that was that was God, that was the Lord. Like, so even even in the moment, she was able to feel a protection of some part of her. And I've heard, you know, other similar things. So I think absolutely um, we only see things from an earthly point of view. And so it's hard for us to think, you know, to think how how is this fair and how, how can this work out when a person had such, um, such bad tools <laughs> given to them from the beginning. But remember that's outer. Our inner is forever. Our inner is what's real. The outer is temporary and absolutely the Lord, the Lord is so um, intent on making sure we have that remains that that's why, uh, okay. <laughs> a little geekiness here that the, most ancient church, the innocent, innocent age, um, where people just, uh, uh, God's will flowed right into their will and then into action. And when that uh, stage era of people started to corrupt their own wills and, um, and, and they didn't have a, a filter like a intellect that could think, hmm, you know, like have some perspective on their, their will, um, their remains were almost going to get destroyed and therefore God had to do a big reset and change the whole um, uh, mechanism of the human mind and how we regenerate so that we have this, you know, these remains and then we can, uh, but we can have a separation like an intellect that can learn differently than our will, than what we were uh, taught. So you can think of like children were taught a certain corrupted way of life, but it's possible for them to learn something different later and have make different choices. So that kind of thing. So it's so important that God did an entire last uh, judgment and reset on the human race when the remains were almost disappearing and God will never allow that that precious uh, tool is not inside every single person. Great. Absolutely. I mean, of, of course, if, if God was willing to, if that just got a little bit in danger, and so we have to go through this drastic action. It's not just happening in willy-nilly around now. I want to bring up, so Swedenborg Foundation that we work for here has an arch nemesis in the UK called the Swedenborg Society. <laughs> just, just kidding. They, we love them very much. And we, uh, they do a lot of great stuff, including they had published a, a, a version of Secrets of Heaven or Arcana Celestia. And I was reading this the other night and there's a line here that I think it relates to where we brought this question. So this is in five, eight, nine, seven at the end. It's talking about how when you do something good and true and stuff, it links angels to what's inside of you. So the angels then go away, but since that link has been established, they can be brought back anytime. Okay. And then it says, but this linking does not take place any more often or fully than the Lord pleases, who controls the situation as is entirely best for that person's life. So that last line there, as is entirely best for that person's life. Yeah. That just hit me as, wow, that is really tailored to you, even to the point where 
how often you need to connect with these particular angels is so precision controlled because the goal is what's best for your life. So with that level of care, there's no way that God is not going to be making sure that it's not going to have some of these circumstances destroy their chance to get into heaven. Right. So, yeah. Okay. Let's go forward. Thanks, Matthew Bush. Flower Child is next, who asks, religion is an intimate part of life. Many abuse the reason of religion to get away with their evil ways. What is <clears throat> present company excluded? What is Swedenborg's opinion <laughs> of fake preachers? And this is a great question because fake preachers were like Swedenborg's greatest nemesis in some ways. So let's have Adam. <laughs> what, what is, uh, what's, what's he say about that? Yeah, Karen. Started. Um, absolutely. He says that's a terrible thing. And it is uh, represented by uh, intense stories in the Bible, like the, the tower of Babel and, and the Cain and Abel and just the whole process of when, um, faith, religion, which, which is a God-given thing as a way that God speaks to people on earth. And, you know, through religion, as it was supposed to be, it's, it's a way that um, teachings can come to people, guidance, um, common mutual cooperation and help of each other, you know, like that's what it's supposed to be. Um, and it is terrible corruption when people took that framework that we call religion and used it for self-centered purposes. And that is, yeah, that is like, that was the, the huge abomination of desolation that Jesus talked about and predicted that when his teachings would be taken as a whole and then corrupted and used for selfish purposes by by preachers who had self-centered agendas. And that was so drastic that it, it, it needed a whole last judgment to, fit, <laughs> to sort that out. So it's uh, very drastic because the more precious something is to begin with, the more terrible it is when it's misused and perverted and, and used badly because it's in itself, it's something that people are wired to trust and to turn to. And when you turn that into something harmful, it, yeah, it's like if you pretend as a person, you pretended to be somebody kind and then you just and then you just hurt somebody because they trusted you. You know, it's just a terrible, it's a terrible thing. Um, so <laughs> that's what Swedenborg would say about fake preachers. It's a very it's a very terrible thing to use religion for self-centered and greedy purposes. It's 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 drastic in spiritual terms, a drastic perversion. Yeah. Jesus wasn't too keen on it either. But the only people he really ever let loose on to were the Pharisees. It seems like that that you've made this is meant to be a house of God. You made it a den of thieves or something close to that. Mm -hmm. Any other um, memorable interactions that that Swedenborg had around this this topic, Kara uh, or Chelsea? I think he just very often refers to. Um, the clergy and the educated as uh, people to look out for <laughs> because they don't, they're not always uh, learning the holy stuff for the right reasons. Um, so he's very critical of that, uh, of the people that have their own gain 
as the goal for being in those kinds of positions. So. Yeah, and to remember the historical context at Swedenborg's time, it was a it was yeah. huge. Like uh, religion was totally uh, enmeshed in the gov government of countries, and uh, church leaders had tremendous power over people's lives. And Swedenborg was seeing a time when the corruption was was really bad, and he was seeing it both on this on Earth and in the spiritual world. So he was talking a lot about it because it was huge then. Um, yeah. <laughs> I know that he talks, he often gives an example, not of a real person, but a theoretical preacher who, when they get up in the pulpit while they're talking and just really getting into it, they can almost believe what they're saying, but because their life is ruled by love of self and love of the world, as soon as they step down from there, they, they don't even think about religious principles and, and apply them to live to their lives. So that's a problem as well. Okay. I mean, we'll let them off easy this time, but uh, closing thoughts, Karen. Yeah. Closing thoughts is then to re to remember and bring it back because um, then it can be easy to think, well, religion is evil and, you know, broad brush thing, but remember that it was, it was supposed to be something good and supportive and life-giving. And it is used that way by many people too. And Swedenborg talks a lot about the corruption in, in the clergy of his day, but then he also gives the examples, but a preacher who from their heart wants to help people and help them be guided and to the Lord. And, you know, that's super good because um, what religion is supposed to be is a group way to help one another uh, get in a relationship with God and help each other. So, there's a good version and we can try to bring that back. Good. Yeah. Good to round that out like that. Okay. There you go. Let's talk about what Robert Martin wants to talk about, which is this. If everything here on earth is a reflection or correspondence of what is going on in heaven, I love to read these. Like if you say this, then that, but they're not really like that. What do you think the COVID-19 could be in heaven. What about all the evil actions over the past year? We have a little thing going on right now. Y'all may have heard of called the, the global pandemic, the uh, once in a century disease. And do we have any sense of how, you know, that's, it, you couldn't have something this big happening here without the spiritual world somehow. Yeah. Being in that chain of events. So what's it all about? Karen? Um, we did do a show a while back that had COVID-19 in the title. <laughs> I can't remember what the rest of the title is, but Jonathan did present uh, you know, some thoughts about maybe what um, the disease corresponds to. And I think Swedenborg always says, yeah, the causes of everything are in the spiritual world. But I think we have to be very cautious about trying to make a one-to-one -one, uh, because what it can lead to is blame. Like I have to watch out for like, Oh, this, cause you, you hear that in the world, like, Oh, this, this natural disaster or this disease became, came along because those people are doing this, mm -mm -mm -mm, you know, and it, judgment. And the point is never supposed to be that the point is always like, look in our own hearts. And so it could be useful to speculate what, this particular disease um, 
corresponds to, but we'd have to look at it in a universal way, like something each of us can work on in our heart, um, not certain actions that certain people did and in, in, in this certain year, because anything that's uh, erupts in big ways has been building up over a long time. Um, so just want to say that, and I think Jonathan was sort of speculating about what might a disease be that affects the lungs in this way and this and that, but um, so some spiritual cause, yes, but let's watch out for uh, trying to pick out who did something bad <laughs> to make this happen. Yeah. And I was thinking, um, you know, in light of that sort of that, uh, I think we talked about it in our show, our how spirits are connected to your health is this interesting line between what's happening physically and what, like there's always a spiritual association or like connection that's happening, but, but because of the way it can indirectly be manifesting in our lives, um, you know, it's not necessarily that one-to-one -one that Karen was saying, then there really is this element of free choice that's always at play, which is that we can choose to, uh, make it something that we want to reflect on from a spiritual place. So if I'm having a physical symptom, I can just deal with it, you know, but I could take the opportunity to reflect on, you know, it might be a little flashpoint for me to think about something spiritual and it might end up leading to really fruitful spiritual insight. Like the Lord can flow into that and use whatever's going on physically to help forward you in your spiritual growth. Um, and so like in very general terms, the global pandemic is, is a correspondence, or you could say like what it is, is a, a, a spiritual crisis, sort of like what Swedenborg calls like a temptation. If it's like collectively things are getting really hard and we can't ignore that we're a global community, you know, and that, uh, and that we have to work with each other somehow and people have different ideas about things and, and everything. And so, uh, you know, how to work together better. Like Swedenborg says, heaven is all about uniting things and hell is all about dividing things in a, in a negative way. Like heaven is really great at appreciating differences, but hell really wants to divide things and make them hate each other. And, um, and so this global pandemic is, is an opportunity for us, you know, uh, you know, no, the Lord says, I mean, Swedenborg says that only the Lord can see heaven as the full single human being that it is. Anybody who's in heaven only gets to have their one little vantage point, you know, and maybe has a sense of how they're a part of this bigger thing called their community or something. Uh, and so I think we know that we're a part of this big thing that's happening globally, but what does it mean for each of us is, uh, you know, we can all engage with it with how it leads us to reflect on ourselves in our own spiritual growth uh, and know that we're when we're doing that, we're doing our part uh, and, you know, can think about it in those bigger picture terms. Yeah, I love it. And how's that vision of us all working together looking now? How, how exciting would it be if we could have all like really got this figured out before we were suffering through all these years with it? It seems to me that, yeah, there's there's the virus and the virus is a problem, but this problem was made so much worse by everything that Chelsea was alluding to that the division and just, just the fact that we it caught us off guard because we hadn't taken seriously this getting, getting this uh, global sense of community, even within countries, the sense of community, efficient systems to move and do things 
we wouldn't have been neglecting that. We'd all been going around and doing whatever low self thought was fun. Instead of that, that would have been more fun. Wouldn't it have been more fun than not have the pandemic. Just like with your health. It's, oh, I don't really want to eat this healthy food right now. But when you don't get sick or when you don't get a heart attack, then you're really glad. So, uh, okay. Karen? Oh, I was going to say, just jumping off of what Chelsea was talking about. Yeah, I think whenever crisis hits in our own individual lives or collectively, what we what the Lord would want, how the Lord brings it out, good out of it, is how can we work together? How can we work together to help one another through this? Because that's where heaven comes in. And that's would uh, that's the good that can come out of a crisis, whether it's a little personal one or a, a big collective one. Yeah, and I do yeah. think that that was the one other thought I was having along the lines was like, there is sort of these spiritual principles around the cycles that we go through in our spiritual growth and like getting attuned to that in yourself. Then you know that like, if you're, you know, feeling really despairing or having like intense, uh, you know, negative thoughts and feelings or something there, it can be a nice, you know, it's helpful to recognize like, Oh, this, this is this point in a, in a sort of spiritual growth cycle. Like I know I'm getting, I'm, you know, the lead is the Lord is leading me in some way to have, goodness and truth get bonded to each other in a new way through this process for like, it's an opportunity for whatever these negative things that are in me to be coming to the surface for me to be addressing or learning how to hold things in love in a new way or whatever, whatever the Lord is leading us on. And so that just gives me some hope that we can collectively use this sort of collective crisis to, you know, participate in a way that helps the Lord bring the good out of it that the Lord can foresee that we maybe have a hard time envisioning. Yeah. I, amidst all the hassle and, and pain and death in this uh, pandemic, I have loved all the stories of the creative ways people were finding to help each other and support each other in this very difficult time. And that's, what's going to last long after this pandemic is finished. Evils have to be seen before they can be removed I think that there's a part of me that didn't really care. Yeah, okay, everybody kind of hates each other and despises each other, but, you know. But once something like this comes along where we really suffer from not being able to get on the same page, it, it makes you realize, oh, that, that, that's a problem. We got to fix that. So it's, in that way, it's, it's identifying these sort of larger human problems that we got to sort out because you can just say, that's oh, not a problem until you understand why it is a problem. So yeah. thanks very much uh, for that question. Let's do another one. We got time and I, this will take us into our bonus time. So I wanna say thank you very much to Dave, Shelley and Tina who have made this segment possible. Woohoo! <laughs> we'll begin with Young at Heart, our friend who asks, what are the panel's views on spiritual or holy places? Are some places on earth more favored than others to help us connect with the spiritual world? Hmm. Yeah, what's up with that? Karin, go ahead. Um, the first thing that popped to my mind is um, Swedenborg said that in uh, like the Bronze Era age of humanity, when there was not a lot of 
thinking and feeling that was uh, heavenly going on. It was very sort of lots of wars, lots of, you know, very uh, down here that um, particular like physical places and, and structures like the Israelites were taught to told to make this very particular tabernacle and ark. And, and those were all um, super important in that area of, of uh, humanity because um, it needed the correspondence um, like there, there need, there was a stronger need for specific physical correspondences to keep a connection between earth and heaven when there wasn't a whole lot of um, heavenly level thinking and feeling going on. And so, um, so you've got uh, the, the Holy land, Israel having these locations that were very important um, and, you know, in other religions too, that there's, there's places that it was uh, important to be, to do, to do religion and things. And so I'm thinking that, um, you know, then uh, time went on and Jesus came and was reteaching people about the inner life, not just the outer life. And, and all religions got a little, uh, you know, started thinking more um, deeply. And I think, so I'm thinking maybe it's less important than it was to be in a particular place on earth to connect uh, meaningfully with, with heaven. Um, but at the same time, you, you know yourself that when you go to a beautiful setting and it, and it stirs your heart that there's something happening there. So um, yeah, it doesn't seem to me that you would have to be in a particular place on the globe to have a, a you know, a more or less um, effective connection with heaven, but uh, anywhere on earth, there would be, there would be um, exterior situations that uh, can correspond and, and draw your mind into heavenly thoughts. So <laughs> those are some first thoughts that came to me. Yeah, it's true. There's, you can find, there's these, think of it from a going and exploring nature standpoint. Cause remember I talked about, I like to go with all the old people and watch nature there's these grand, amazing ecosystems. You can go to Yellowstone or the Everglades or, or whatever, wherever you're lucky enough to go. And it's really great and beautiful, but you in a little puddle in the grass, you can find this amazing joy and beauty there yes. as well. And I think Swedenborg gives an interesting commentary on, well, it depends on, what you mean by connect with the spiritual world but talks about the the area the biblical area of the world so land of canaan egypt that area actually the the reason those events took place there was at that time those places corresponded to these these spiritual realities so the events happening in those places somehow created this link with heaven it doesn't mean that if you went to those places you would be more spiritual or even if you were featured in those stories, you'd be more spiritual, but that somehow those were connecting with the spiritual world. And Swedenborg said that in his day, mid 1700s, there were places in Europe that had the same correspondences. He talks about countries in Europe having the same equivalent meaning as Egyptians did in biblical narrative. So I don't know what the what it is today. So it does seem like there actually can be places, not that right, you're gonna step in there or because of this phenomenon he's describing, not that you would step in there and feel different, but it is this, this is where the plug is for the spiritual world. Um, and I don't know if it's place or people or, or what, but yeah, Chelsea. 
Yeah, I just think about uh, what Swedenborg says about the Lord's presence and that, you know, the Lord is omnipresent, but there actually is a way where the Lord can be more present. Um, and that depends on our receptivity uh, and, and our intentions, I think. And I, so I, uh, it, it going back before the age that Karin was talking about, you know, like the, the most ancient church Swedenborg describes as, you know, understanding correspondences at play in the natural world around them. And so they would go up on a mountain to, you know, worship or something or go to certain trees um, because of that sense of that, um, because there was both things going on at play. There was that physical element, but they understood what the spiritual um, import of it was, the, the correspondence. And, uh, and so I think, so I think some of that's probably still at play. And I really wonder, I just think there's gotta be something going on uh, like, well, so two thoughts are coming to my mind. One is I love kind of testing. This is, sounds bad, but like testing the Lord. Like I remember being, you know, a young mom with little kids and feeling just like, where is God in my life? <laughs> you know, just super overwhelmed with things and just feeling like this little three by three foot space that I have has to be, you know, sacred and potential enough to connect with God. Like God's got to be here and do something amazing, you know, for me or else, you know, come on, come through on your promises sort of a thing. Um, so I do, that's some of the more, most beautiful things is when God works in places where you least expect it. Um, and you find God in, in where you wouldn't, you know, expect, or you might think that's not a holy place, you know, maybe it's the most holy place. Um, and, but then on the other side of that, I do think there's this way, you know, like when you walk into a space, it can feel different. There's like an energy to it. So I think there's something real about our intentions, the way we use a space, like some, there's something real and with whatever the spiritual substance is and however that spiritual substance finds its grounding in the physical world, that's true. You know, I just think that there's something going on there. So it's like, uh, you know, yeah, certain spaces in the woods or on a mountain or whatever. Uh, so interesting that both can be at play and I don't know, we can do, do stuff with both of those sort of ends of the spectrum. That's, that's always how it is in Swedenborg. I feel like is there's truth to both sides of it. And I love the way you laid it out there. I think I'm glad you brought up that point of the people that go up in the mountains and worship there. It seems like every nature documentary I watch, I, I'm sorry that I can't stop talking about this. It says, oh, you know, the people, the indigenous people here considered this a holy mountain. Well, you think they just did that for no reason? Everywhere, there's all these sacred mountains and areas. I'm sure it's because they people were having some kind of spiritual experiences or it was really having some kind of impact you don't just consider something sacred for no reason so most likely there's quite a lot it's, it just seems like every every culture has sites that were near it that were considered holy so it's probably there's a bunch of sacred places around i don't know if it's intrinsic to the mountain itself or a particular connection with those people as they live there probably combinations probably a really complex real mechanism that that makes it like that but i'm sure that there's just there's not no reason that people think this is a sacred mountain or a sacred river probably because it's from experience so 
Cool. That was a great question. Let's do another one. Hey, we got another bonus question. This is Nana Rosebud who asks, do people that are baptized really get favored into the spiritual world? I read that in great, a state of shock because we're just about to release a show about this. <laughs> what? It's coming right up. It's, it's the next show. Okay. Do we give away some? <laughs> do we give away some? I guess we've got to. The people bought this segment. We've got to give away some of the answers. Chelsea, what do you what do you think? Oh my. Okay. So do people that are baptized really get favored into the spirit world? Um, well, watch our show. Uh, not, <laughs> not this next week, but the following week on Monday, March 15th, I want to say maybe. Um, it's all the same. It's all the same. And uh, so no. Um, I mean, well, so yeah, I mean, talk about the the both and. And what we were just talking about of like what makes a sacred space holy is there's uh, what, how how and why do rituals work? You know, that's sort of the, the bigger question that we ask in baptism. And uh, what we talk about is how much um, it comes down to our intention and uh, and the intention that we bring to a ritual that we're participating in. And so in the case of baptism, it's not... Uh, Baptism itself is just this picture of the whole longer process of regeneration that we go on. So it's, it's a reflection of that and it's a symbol of our commitment on that journey. And so there is some real power in that uh, you, it sort of creates some spiritual connection, like it's, it's, but it's really the beginning of a journey. Um, And then, uh, and so it can be really helpful on your own personal journey, uh, but it's not, required. And, um, and so there isn't exactly that kind of favoring, I think, uh, but sort of, if you think about it broadly, if it's helping you or it can, because it's helping leading you on your, uh, beginning your journey of regeneration of this spiritual growth. So it can be a symbol of that. Uh, but it's not sort of a one-to-one you do this earthly act, you get this spiritual result. Um, but there's some interesting things to explore in that. And explore them we will. Not this Monday, but next Monday. Let's <laughs> let's do, because we're about to release a show on this. Let's let's go to one more question before the, the show here ends today. This is from Gavin O'Malley, who asks, Do you guys see the earth ever being restored to the original condition when the ancient church was here? We've mentioned this ancient and most ancient church several times. What do you think? I'll start. <laughs> and if we're just going to continue my theme of talking about nature, this will be the last time I get an opportunity to do it. <laughs> so I was walking the other day and I was thinking about the way the state that nature currently exists in, because I think, I do think that the biosphere, the intact biosphere before we had degraded it is a picture of maybe the human mind as it was in sort of the garden of Eden state. And right now it's like, it's all fragmented. And there's, I was thinking about things like introduced species where you have an animal that comes from one part of the world to the other, another part of the world, but that part of the world isn't ready for that animal. So it takes over here in Pennsylvania. We just had this thing called the spotter and lantern fly spotted lantern fly come in, which in just like a year or two is like everywhere now and is wreaking havoc on everything spotted or cane toads in Australia, this sorts of thing. There's also 
all, all the domestication we've done, we've totally changed what nature is. But if we stopped, nature would totally restore itself. Meaning, sure, the, 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 the trajectory has changed, but as soon as we stopped transporting things around and changing and messing with things, things would start evolving again so that you'd end up with distinct continents with each with their own distinct species and you'd have biodiversity. It, the system in, um, invariably moves back to this state. So I would wonder if there's a similar mechanism for humanity that, that we, as soon as we stop doing things that are uh, pulling against that state, we'll just ease into it. Might take time, but, but it's inevitable. Uh, so that's my my first thought on it. Karen? Yes, I yes, I absolutely believe in a coming golden age. And I I think it's the last chapter in Swedenborg's book, True Christianity, that's about the new church, what he means by the new church, and that it is represented by the holy city at the end of the Bible and and imagery and other. Uh, religions. We did uh, the spiritual future of the human race. So go watch that show. Um, but yes, it's a coming back to uh, a connection with God. And if you think of it in terms of, because I think uh, Sweetmore does compare it in that chapter in true Christianity to like, think of the growth of one individual human being from the innocence of their uh, babyhood and childhood, and then sort of the turmoil of, um, adolescence as you're feeling more independent, want to do things your own way, but then you have your hard knocks and then you move into adulthood and you actually are coming back to something, but in a new way. And so the, the end goal is what Swedenborg calls this innocence of wisdom. So it's not the same as the innocence of childhood and, and infancy where you uh, just didn't have any other choice. You didn't know anything else than than trusting your <laughs> creator or your parent, whoever it was at the time. Um, there is going to be a coming back, but it's gonna be a freely chosen coming back. And that's the that's why free will is so, so important. And it, it uh, leaves room for all this chaos and going on wrong paths and things as the human race has done. But in the end, um, we can collectively choose with intention because, you know, we're choosing, it's not just the default, but we're choosing to go back to a relationship with God and to be led by God. And that is going to bring about, um, yeah, this, this peaceful uh, state on earth again, like there was in, um, early on, but it will be, will have been our choice and so it will last. Like Swedenborg in that chapter says, this church will not end because it's going to have been chosen with intention. Um, so that's what I get out of true Christianity, the final chapter. <laughs> Sounds like a really hopeful note if we were to end on that note, which, which the clock says we have to. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. Um, I feel great. I feel like I have absorbed a lot of great information. Um, I see, I see more questions in the queue and I'm like, let's just do another, let's just do another, but we'll do them next time. We'll, or we'll, uh, if, you, if you didn't get your question answered, post it here in the comments and our awesome community care team led by Karen and Kara and a lot of people that you know, will we'll come in uh, and chat with you about it. Um, thanks everybody. Thanks to our donors. We had three donors for a total of $145. So that's very exciting. 
and is going to let us do what we do. Um, so thank you so much for believing in us and, and taking it upon yourselves to make this possible. And next week we is a development week. So we won't be putting out shows. We'll be hard at work making them. In the next week after that, you'll see the, the efforts of our labor, including our next show, Does Baptism Matter? Yes, we really are doing a show about We knew people wanted to know about that, so we're doing that. Hey, uh, thanks. Thanks, panel. That was really fun getting to talk to you. Thank you, everybody. It was a delight. Love your questions. Love the, the thoughts and discussion that they raise. And uh, so fun to think about this all with you. And don't forget about the podcast this Sunday. Somebody somebody tell about that, right? <laughs> we, we, yeah, Chelsea mentioned it before, but just in case anyone didn't hear, it's called Seeing the Face of God and When Swedenborg First Went Viral. And that's this Sunday, which is not that far away. <laughs> Thanks, everybody. I wish you all a happy weekend. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, it's so great to get to be here and get to learn along with you all. Bye, everybody. See you later. Be safe. Watch more videos. See ya. Be in nature.